And I want to share with you from 2 Samuel chapter 23 about that kind of idea of the community, of really how God has led us together as His people, how He wants us to enjoy community together, enjoy connection together, enjoy life together. And really, as we look at this passage, if nothing else you get today, if nothing else, I want you to hear that we need people, we need their help, we need to help them. We need to live in a context of people. We need to live in context of relationship with one another. It is so important for New Testament believers to catch on to this idea that we need one another as we go through the ministry and work of the kingdom. We've got to have each other. I know this may seem like a strange passage to talk about that, but I want you to see because I think it's been placed here providentially for us to see how God has always said we need people. We need others in our lives. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. And look, I just want to read the first part of this. Okay, just the first part. And I want to reflect on it with you today, okay? Verse 8 says, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. These are the names of the mighty men that David had. Now, to put this in context... David is coming to the end of his kingship. He is coming to the end of his life. Now, some of you are probably happy about that. I'm not saying you're applauding David's death, but some of you have been here since January. You've heard me like teach through the life of David. Some of you are probably like, okay, enough David, ready to move on. There's got to be another biblical character that's interesting somewhere along the line. So let's move on. But this is the context of David's final days. The first part of this chapter, it actually says he gives them the final oracle. It's the final prophetic word. And then right after he does that, we're giving, given this list of the mighty men of David. Basically, when you read down through this, and I encourage you to do it later, not during the sermon, all right? Later, when you go home this afternoon, before you go to bed at night, go home and read this because it will talk about the different people who have served in different capacities for David. You'll have the three. Then you'll have what's labeled as the 30. It's like an elite group. It's a special force that he had put together at some time in his uh, life. And these are individuals that accomplish great feats. I mean, it is interesting as you read down through. Nuge told me earlier how disappointed... He was that I didn't read through it this morning during the 9 o'clock services. Uh, I'll leave him in his disappointment because you'll probably be more disappointed if I were to read all of this. And I know if I tried to pronounce all of these, well, you would get too much enjoyment probably out of that, all right? So I want you to go back and I want you to read because it's, it's about these great individuals that they have great accomplishments. I mean, they defeat enemies it's an incredible story over and over. I mean, when I look at it, when I think about the special force, when I think about this elite task force that had been put together, I kind of I go back to my own context, right? Because I read the scripture in its context, and then I try to relate it to myself in my context. And I know I'm showing my, my age here, okay? But when I was growing up and I thought about an elite force, I thought about a Rambo-like individual. Okay, Rambo. Some of you ever heard of Rambo? I don't, probably some of you haven't ever read the, seen the movie, though. You're too young, or you maybe, I don't know, maybe you caught it on the classic. This morning, 
in the 9 o'clock service, I saw some people that got senior discounts when they were there at the uh, first Rambo when it was out. You know, it was kind of cool. They were talking about those days. For me, I was just a child, okay, so I'm not that old. I was just a child when I first saw it and it had come out. And, man, that was, like, incredible. Like, I wanted to be Rambo. I know that's bad. That is terrible to say in a church context with all the violence and other things. But I'm just telling you, I wanted to be Rambo. I felt the urge this morning to just put that little bandana around my head and, like, preach this morning, like, boom, you know, just like, I, w- I could just sense myself. I would, I, would, I would go into the yard, and I would go behind a bush or so, and I would ambush my sister when she'd come by. I'd be like, Rambo, you know. I didn't have a big knife or anything like that, but, you know, I was, I was just like, Rambo, that's a special force. So David has all these Rambos in his life. I mean, he's got all these guys that are just incredible, this elite task, and, and it is cool, it's interesting. But why did God put this right here? Just to pique our interest? No, I don't think so. Well, why did the Holy Spirit, as he spoke to the person who wrote this, why did he record these names and these feats for us? Is it just to summarize the history of David? Well, in part... It begins to wrap things up. Yes, in part it does that. But there's got to be some other significance. The Scripture does not waste words. The Scripture does not just give us words for us to just kind of pass over. Every word has significance and importance, I believe. So why is it here? Not only to summarize David's life and David's accomplishments... But I think in many ways, when you're reading through this, you're reminded of this truth. And that is, no matter who you are, even if you're the king of Israel, even if you're the man after God's own heart, even if you're David, you got to have people in your life. you got to have people in order to accomplish what God really wants for you. you gotta, you got to have people to effectively perform God's work. There are no lone rangers. There are no solo acts. We are together in this battle. And that is what we're reminded of. Listen, if anybody could have done it on his own, it probably could have been King David. I mean, think of his feats. Think of his achievements and his victories. When he was just a child, when he was just a child, we're told that he was able to rip a lion apart. He was able to kill a bear. We're told as a young man that he ran across this valley and he approached the nine-foot, nine-inch Goliath and he brought him down. We're told that he was one of those tens of thousands hero. That's what I'm going to start calling him, the tens of thousands hero. Because all the women, when he was coming back, they would come out and they would sing the song. Remember the song that they would sing? Saul has killed his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. I say to you, if anybody could have done it alone, it should have been David. I mean, he was gifted. He was talented. He was skilled. If anybody could have done the work of God on his own, it could have been or should have been David. But this says that he had a group of mighty men behind him. He had a group of mighty men that helped him accomplish the work of God and the will of God.
because you got to have people. And let me just say this this morning for those of us in this place. We still got to have people. God still puts us in the context of the church, in the context of other believers, so that we can achieve and accomplish that which He has appointed to us and that we can do it effectively. God has not called us to be solo acts. He has not called us to be lone rangers for the kingdom. He has called us to partner with other believers to see His kingdom known. That's the principle throughout all of Scripture. Wednesday nights, I've been teaching from the book of Nehemiah. If you know anything about Nehemiah, it's about how the Jews return and they are attempting to build the wall around Jerusalem for their own pride and their protection. And in that midst, Nehemiah sends out this invitation. He, he calls forth the people in the surrounding villages to come and to be a part of the work. And they come into Jerusalem, that blessed city, and they begin to build the wall. Because Nehemiah couldn't have done it by himself. He had the approval of the king, but he had to have people joining him in the effort to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And it cut through the socioeconomic standing of the people. Because as this last Wednesday night as I was teaching through, he challenged the nobles. The nobles who were oppressing their farmer brothers, the, the individuals who were struggling, they were, they were trying to, to just kind of push them out economically. And Nehemiah looked at those nobles and he said, we're all supposed to be in this together. There's not going to be any of that, no kind of oppression, because we're all in this together. Nehemiah understood that. Jesus chose. Jesus chose to invite others into the kingdom work. Again, Jesus could have fulfilled his mission. Jesus could have provided salvation. Jesus could have done whatever he wanted to do on his own. But what did he do? He chose 12 disciples to gather around him. He chose these individual believers, even men and women that he loved and he brought alongside, he chose those individuals to make a difference for the kingdom. How about Paul? I mean, Paul is best recognized missionary outside of Jesus himself. But if it weren't for Barnabas, Silas, and Luke, and Aquila, and Priscilla, and Timothy, and so on and so on, can you imagine what the kingdom of God would have looked like? Because Paul wasn't just by himself. He had other people. Again, we got to have people. Hey, uh, those of us in here, those of us in here, we got to have people. We got to have relationships. Now, let me say this clearly. If somebody comes into these doors or if somebody comes into the sanctuary doors downstairs, wherever they come into this campus, I think every individual should be respected as coming in here. They have the image of God within them. They should be demonstrated that type of love and compassion and we should extend to them a warm type of hosp hospitality. Every individual, every individual should be welcomed into the presence of God. But we also know that there are relationships that grow deeper here, right? As you study together, as you serve together, as you go on to mission teams, maybe they're like associates of yours or maybe you even work with them, they're co-workers or something like that, 
outside of this place. But then you see maybe friendships develop. And you have close friends. And then you have what you call intimate friends. People that you can really share with. People you can talk with. That's what you should be seeing happen in your life. And there's nothing wrong with having very intimate, close friends, even within the church context. Some of those people that you can share, you would share something with that maybe you wouldn't share in the open assembly. You could share with those people. You should encourage one another in those relationships because we need that. Guys, listen, guys, you and I, you and I stink at these type of relationships. Could you agree with me on that? Most of the time, most of the time, and some of us might have it, but to be honest, those of us, those of us guys in this place, we're usually withdrawn more than the ladies are. We, we try to dismiss some of those friendships. And yet, this is David who recognized that he needed people in his life. We've already talked about the close relationship he had with Jonathan. But these were people that gathered around him. They were loyal to him. They would do whatever it took to see his progress and advancement. You got to have people. You got to have people in your life. Why? Because the task is so great. You and I cannot perform the task God has given us on our own. God has given us the ability to make his name known, take the gospel the good news of Jesus, and you and I cannot fulfill that effectively by ourselves. We have to have others. Why were these 30 there? Why were these three? Well, I'll talk about its establishment in a moment, but basically, I believe that these were put together to extend, to establish the kingdom of David and to extend the kingdom of David. If you read through the feats, they are fighting back. They're doing whatever they can to be able to establish the divinic dynasty and to spread out territorially into other areas. They'll take the city of Jerusalem. You may not have known that, but they're the ones who will take the city of Jerusalem. It'll be the city of David. They'll push forward into other territories. So somehow what they're trying to do is rally around a goal, a mission, a purpose. It's important for the people of God to rally around a mission and a purpose. Someone has said, teamwork is the secret that makes common people achieve uncommon goals. And then describing a specific type of mission or purpose, Lou Holtz spoke. Some of you have heard of Lou Holtz. He's got a son that coaches somewhere. Um, but Lou Holtz pretty successful himself. And Lou Holtz emphasized the idea of a common purpose or mission when you were going out to play a game and he had a unique one for himself it was kind of funny he said on this team talking about the team he was coaching he said on this team we're all united around a common goal to keep my job he said that's what we're trying to do is to keep my job week in and week out hey it was commonality it was coming together and for us there's a common goal that we have to rally around we don't try to extend listen we don't try to extend our geographical political governmental what you want to call it we don't try to extend that type of influence 
That is not our goal and purpose. People need to hear that once again today. We are not here to build our own kingdoms or to establish political kingdoms. That is not what we're here for. What are we here for? We are here to establish the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and we are to extend it in every way possible as we let His name be known here in our area and beyond. That's what we're doing or should be doing. But let me warn you that when you try to extend the name of Jesus, when you try to extend the spiritual territory, His rule and His reign over others, when you do that, battles are going to come. You better get ready. Try to push back darkness. And Satan will come. He will come and begin to just push back on you and who you are. When you read through the rest of this chapter, you'll see that they fought the Philistines. They fought uh, the Egyptians. And they'll have other battles that they have to go through to extend the kingdom of David. You and I will have battles we've got to go through to extend the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. It's not going to come easy. It's not going to come easy. Nothing significant will be achieved without some type of loss or cost that come in our lives. But we do it together, battling together. You and I need to be reminded that the unbeliever that we walk into this week is not the enemy. The unbeliever is not the enemy. The unbeliever may be blinded by the enemy at the moment, but he or she is not the enemy. The enemy is of a spiritual nature. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And that's the reason we need each other so much. Because of the spiritual battles that take place. You know, one of the reasons, one of the reasons I love Sunday morning to be able to come together is because I know tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm going to face some spiritual battles. And it helps me to come with you to get encouraged, to hear the word, to worship together, to get re-energized, to get recharged, to be able to face the battles that will come in life. That's what the writer of Hebrews was saying. In chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, he said, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you or any of you could have an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But encourage one another daily. Well, it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And of course, that passage you've heard so often, Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You hear what he said? You and I are going to need each other more as... The return of Jesus comes imminent. You and I are going to need each other more and more and more and more. Because we can't fight the battle by ourselves. We need mighty men and we need mighty women right by us. We need people who will stand right next to us in the line. When we're going through the battle, we need people who are right there saying, hey, we're going to fight with you. How blessed 
how blessed I've been through the years to have those kind of people with me in different contexts and different areas. My staff, those people who've served with me in ministry. I look back, I was just doing some reflection this week. I'm kind of getting nostalgic for various reasons, but I, I began thinking about the staff members, Michael and Chad and Stanley and John. You may not know those people, but there are people in other churches who have stood right there with me in the, in the fighting line trying to push back the darkness. Here, let me just say this. I am blessed to work with one of the best staffs I've ever been able to experience or see. Brothers and sisters in Christ who I know are there for me and support me. There are days, and there have been some recent days where I told them that I needed them to hold my arms up. They had to be kind of like Aaron holding up the arms of Moses. I needed them to fight the battles with me. Deacons who I have had in my life, lay leadership through the years. Mr. Jack Smith, who had Lou Gehrig's disease, but when he spoke, even in that draw, he could speak in a clear way and bring peace to the church when he would speak to them in a moment of disunity. Jerry, Wayne, and Mike. Wayne and Mike, how they came into my office and said, all right, pastor, you're going to finish your degree Get your calendar out. We're writing it down and it's time for you to write each chapter of this dissertation and get it done. Tommy and Gary and so, so many others that you may not know, but I knew because they were in the foxhole with me. I don't know if you know how many deacons we have active here at Temple Baptist Church right now. We have 30 deacons active on the active council. I was telling them (laughs) earlier today, I'm going to start calling them them my 30. You know, they're the 30. They better start acting like the 30. I want to see some big accomplishments, Patrick Patton. I want to see some big feats in life. The 30. And there are many others. There are many others. You got to have people. Folks, you got to have them. You're not going to be able to fight your battle alone. You got to have some of these folks with you. You're not going to be able to extend the kingdom of Jesus Christ by yourself. No. You got to have folks with you. How are you going to do it at school if you don't have some others who are fighting with you on the university campus in your workplace? You may be the spark that will lead an army for Jesus Christ in your context. People are just waiting to rally around that mission and that cause. But let me challenge you in this way. Some of you in here need to start getting in the battle. Some of you, what you've been doing for the kingdom is you've been standing up on the horizon. You've been standing on that hill. You've been looking down with binoculars saying, oh, that's interesting. That looks good what's going on. Oh, that's cool that they're doing that at the church. It's cool that they're going on that mission. It's cool that they're doing this. It's time for some of you to put the binoculars down and for you to come down into the valley with us and start getting in the battle. It's time for you to step up and stand right beside your brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, I'm there with you and I want to be a part of what God is doing. Because we've got to have people. 
And we've got to help people. Hey, these three, these 30, they gathered around and they helped David. There is no doubt. But as I get ready to close, I want to show you how David helped them as well. The 30, the three. When you get on down, you'll read and it'll say the 37. And then you'll be like, what? 37? How did they get all these numbers or so? Maybe the Bible is wrong. No, it's not. Not in any way. Some of these people served for a season. It was kind of like they moved in and out of this elite force. There was one in particular that died before David even became king. So he was replaced among the 30. So there are different names, different seasons. And for you, there'll be different seasons of life where God chooses you to serve in that particular area. But where did these come from? It's really interesting to trace where this group, the three and the 30, where do they come from? I believe, based upon my study, that they actually came out of the cave at Adullam. Some of you say, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. That's because you weren't listening a few weeks ago. We shared about this. Remember, there was a moment where David had run from Saul and he hid in a cave and he was by himself and I'm sure he was pouring him a cup of pity and he was getting ready to celebrate uh, all of his losses and all of the difficulties that he had faced and I'm sure he was about to whine and, and think about all those things. And what happened? 400 people showed up. 400 other losers showed up. I hate to be that frank, but that's what they were. The scripture says that they were in debt they were distressed and they were in discontentment. So here you are, you down and out, and all of a sudden 400 of the most down and out people show up with you in the cave. That must have been incredibly encouraging. I probably would have tried to kick them out of my cave and say, go find your own cave right now. I'd like to just sit here in my misery for a while. But out of that 400 that were distressed, that were in debt and in discontentment, David took them and these three and these 30 came about. God used David to help transform their lives. Isn't that what we're supposed to be about? Hey, those of you who are in leadership, any kind of leadership, it's not about transactional leadership. That's what you see so often. What is transactional leadership? It is doing something for somebody so they'll do something for you. It's like a transaction. What has God called us to be about? Transformational leadership. Seeing people transformed around us. Seeing people come into the image of Christ. David had that type of character. Even when he had these individuals distressed in discontentment. What else I noticed about this? About these guys? If you read down through that most of them come from the tribe of Judah. Makes sense. That's where David came from. But there were three, at least three, from the tribe of Benjamin. Anybody got any idea of the tribe of Benjamin? Who came from the tribe of Benjamin? King Saul. That's where he came from. So in other words, David brought in some of Saul's people. And then if you keep on reading down, there are other tribes, but also there are three people that come from outside of Israel. One's a Syrian, one's an Ammonite, and one's a Hittite. All three of those are supposed to be like born enemies of Israel. So he takes the born enemies of Israel and he brings three of them into his group. Do you see how transformational he is? 
He brings in the outsiders so that they can become insiders in the kingdom. See, I, I, just, I just love this. You, I can tell you're getting real excited about it. But I, I just love this because this is how God can take a life and he can use us to see people who are on the outside looking in, people who are in debt, distress, discontentment, and, and God can use us to bring them into the kingdom and for them to see their lives totally transformed. Because the people who were in debt, discontentment, and distress, they become the combative, courageous conquerors of David. And God's still in that business. Because I hate to remind you of this, but you and I, we were spiritually in debt. We were spiritually distressed. We were spiritually discontent. We didn't even realize how bad it was until Jesus Christ came into our lives and saved us. And then he gave us courage and he gave us an opportunity to join the combat for the kingdom. And he has made us more than conquerors through him. That's what's tremendous. And that's what we should see in other people. Because we got to have people. Because they help us. But we got to have people because we want to help them and see them transformed in their lives. We need some mighty men. We need some mighty women. I pray God would so speak to you today and that the Holy Spirit of God would convict you in such a way that you would commit your life to joining us in this fight. A fight for the kingdom, for authenticity, for the good news that Jesus is the Christ and that He alone brings salvation to people's hearts. I pray you'd join us. I pray you'd start looking around and seeing who's standing in the fight. And, you, and I pray you'd get a, get a weapon and you'd just stand right by us so that we could see his kingdom come. Because ultimately, let me just say this, ultimately, it will be only his kingdom and his word that last. Not all this other stuff that we participate in and we see. It is his kingdom that will last. May we give our lives to that which is, has eternal significance as we push back the darkness and take his gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day. God, how blessed we are, yes, that we're not alone. For brothers and sisters in Christ who are here in this place, who are on mission with us, who are in the battle with us, but God, I pray that you would speak to each one of us to give us a new courage, a new strength to stand and to fight. Father, I pray that we'd look around and we'd see brothers and sisters who are struggling as well and we'd join them right there on the front line that we'd stop being spectators, but we'd be participators in what you're doing. And God, help us to look, especially for those, especially for those that are deemed to be outsiders. God, help us to bring all into the kingdom and help us as we see their purpose and mission succeed. We pray now for your word and for your conviction to speak to us during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?